Welcome to Gridwalk with Cam Van Den Dungan and Carl Reindler. How good is it to be back talking Formula One three weeks in a row? I'm Cameron Vandendungen and I just want to say Gridwalk is thanks to Bedpost. Upgrade your sleep with Bedpost to recharge your mind and body. Tonight you can join the conversation, call 1300 736 736 or you can jump onto the 40 Winks Temper text line 0433 98 11 16. Carl, you and I, we've broken apart again. We're no longer in the same room, but we're going to bring all the action from Sao Paulo. Um, it has been action a plenty, mate. I think we're going to we're going to spend the first segment today talking qualifying, um, sprint qualifying, and sprint results as well. It was action packed yesterday. What a sprint race! Here you are, two weeks ago, saying scrap the sprint race. Was that not one of the best races we've had all year? See, I'm not that sold on it, mate. I'm still not that sold on it. Uh, And even Christian Uh, Horner has come out and started backing me in as well. He didn't mention me by name, but I know Christian Horner was thinking of me when he said um, it needs to mean something more. Just a few points here and there. Yes, we had a great battle pack, but I'm going to talk a bit about what I'm concerned about. I think it was more to do with the track than anything else, Carlos. Um, But you're right, it was action-packed. There was elbows out. They were were in uh, in the driver's the bullpen when they were doing their media afterwards every single one of them was smiling because they were back to throwing elbows but they're having fun out there right they're they're overtaking i mean you look at the two aussies out there they they overtook each other several times in the single race alone so they're they're having fun and when the drivers are having fun it produces a better outcome from an entertainment perspective so but i agree with what you said before cam the circuit is a big contributor and i love these old school circuits where you make a mistake and there's consequences for it yeah, but let's talk about some of the results from qualifying because we've got two different things. For those of you joining us on Gridwalk for the first time tonight, we talk all things Formula One and we're going to do so for the next hour. In Sao Paulo, in Brazil, the Grand Prix, um, Grand Prix race 20 of 22. So we're right at the end of the year at the moment. We've only got Las Vegas and Abu Dhabi still to come. But qualifying was the first thing. That set the grid for uh, tomorrow morning's race, depending on where you are in um in the grand scheme of things. So we've got Max Verstappen on pole with Red Bull. We've got Charles Leclerc uh, on second for Ferrari. And and Carl, can you believe it? We said he should go and play tennis. We sh- said he should do something else. And somehow, maybe the weather gods smiled on him on that day. Lance, Lance Stroll ends up on the inside of the second row. No, good on him. I think it's, uh, it's great to see... Um, the pressure that these guys are under throughout the year, it's different for every individual. And, and obviously we all, we're all acutely aware of Lance's situation with his father owning the team. But despite the pressure and all the conversations, he's risen to the occasion. And I, I take my hat off to him. I think uh, he's done an, an exceptional job to qualify third. I reckon the Astons are looking pretty good. Uh, I'd, love to see, I'd love to see a first podium for Lance this weekend in Brazil. Really? Is that actually, do you think it's going to happen? Oh, look, whether it, I, I said I would like to see it happen. Whether it actually happens or not is a different story. But, uh, you know, I think uh, and he's copped a lot of criticism all year round, um, most of it deserving. But, it, you know, if he can pull off a good weekend this weekend, I sort of redeemed part of, uh, part of his lack of performance throughout the season. 
His teammate, Fernando Alonso, will start alongside him. And um, I think this will get a few people up and about in their seats because Fernando Alonso, if you go back to the start of the year, Carl, that run of podiums he had, we thought he was on for a... A ripper of a year. And um, oh, look, he's he's put himself in the right position. Yes, he was fortunate that they didn't get those extra runs in qualifying segment part three. Um, and then we look at Oscar Piastri. He'll start in 10th. So we'll talk about the Aussies. His teammate Lando Norris will start in 6th. Um, Oscar Piastri just, just wasn't able to get that lap in. And he said it was a mistake. It's the first time he's been to, to the circuit there in Brazil. So maybe a little bit of a rookie error uh, creeping in. Yeah, again, talking about this circuit, it, it you get punished for making a small mistake. It's constant loaded corners. It's a, it's a really challenging circuit. The guys love driving it, of course. But, yeah, it's a, it's a rare mistake. Oscar's been quite clinical in, in his approach to, to the year. Um, yeah, it was only a few rounds ago. You're, the age-old story, Cam, like you're only as good as your last performance in this game. But Lando's really stepped it up a notch, I think, in the last couple of rounds and making it really, really challenging for Oscar. So I think Lando's been the stronger of the pairing recently, but I think it's one of those battles moving forward into 2024 and beyond. It's it's going to be neck and neck between. And, and the, the beauty about that is it's going to push McLaren further and further and, and higher and higher up that grid. They're going to be, I reckon they're going to be super strong in 24. Yeah, they will be. They will be. So um, just to remind you again, Oscar Piastri will start 10th. He started the sprint race 10th, and we'll come to the sprint results in a minute. We'll stay with qualifying right now. I think you're right with that intra-team battle between Lando and Oscar. Oscar really started to rise and push Lando, and he's responded. This is where some of those other teams, like Red Bull in particular, and we've talked about Sergio Perez just not being there, pushing Max that hard. And you can see the advantage when you've got two drivers respectfully pushing each other, like the George Russell, Lewis Hamilton moment we saw a couple of races ago, or even what happened in Suzuka where Lewis tried to, to basically um, off uh, George Russell. But you can see this respectful battle at McLaren, and, and I put that down probably more to Oscar Piastri, who's... I, I, no, I've got to give it to Lando as well. I mean, he, he also hasn't been... Um, he's been on the team radio, and they've let the team made the call, and both of them have lived by the decision that's been handed down. I think, I think yeah, all credit to both of those drivers at McLaren. Yeah, I think these intra-team battles, I'm, I'm loving at the moment. You get found out really quickly if you're not competing against your teammate, if you're not competitive. Like Lance to, to Fernando and obviously Checo to, to Max this year. They're the two that really stand out. Um, obviously, the sprint race, we had two Alpha Tauris in Yuki. Yuki out-qualified out um, Daniel, which was phenomenal from him. He's obviously got confidence at the moment, but the direction that Daniel's kind of giving that team, like they're just going from strength to strength as well when you're talking about intra-team battles it's uh i love love it the way it's sort of shaping out at the moment well well the sprint result was great but in qualifying daniel ricardo is going to start from position 17 and yuki Sonoda starts in position 16 so the cars just didn't get the job done in qualifying for alpha tauri but let's let's flip over to to the sprint result max verstappen got the win there and unfortunately for all of you fans out there he has won every um grand prix of the same weekend where he's won the sprint race so uh that doesn't bode well for any other team with max verstappen winning there he got the lead off uh, 
uh, at, by turn one on Lando Norris in that sprint race. And um, Lando being the pole sitter in the McLaren, who did look good, had a very fast car, just wasn't able to, to, to take it to max in that race trim. Sergio Perez third. But back to your point, Daniel Ricciardo finished ninth, which was a great result, although he only qualified, sorry, he qualified eighth for that sprint race. So he actually went back a spot. Yeah, I'll go back to your first point. Max, he's going to be pretty unstoppable in this race. Um, talking about the sprint specifically with Lando on pole, I, I don't know about you, mate, but I, I would love to have seen Lando be a little bit more assertive or a bit more aggressive at the start of the race. I I think if he's going to... Like, it must be playing on his mind. The fact he's not won a race in Formula 1 yet. Like, it's a, the, uh, the numbers, the statistics are not looking good. You know, to be the... I mean, Sean will be able to tell us, but it's, it's one of the longest streaks in the sport where someone hasn't won a race or something like that. Like, it's it's got to be playing on his mind. His teammate, Oscar, had a win in the sprint earlier uh, in the year at Qatar. And... Uh, He's, he's just got to get his elbows out, I think. He's got to be a bit greedier at those first corner battles. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm pretty sure Max would have just driven away anyway, but he's got to show them that he's, uh, he's up for the challenge. There's a bit in that. I'm, I'm going to come back to that Lando Norris piece because I think, I think he's going to be quite strong uh, tonight or tomorrow, depending on where you are in the world listening into Gridwalk. Let's have a couple of talking points off the top of the show. Track Limits normally comes in in segment one, but I'm, I'm saving that for you, Carl. We're going to bring that in to the segment after the break. Let's talk about a couple of talking points at the moment. Um, the Ocon and Alonso incident in the sprint shootout. What was going on there? They've, they've claimed it was a racing incident, uh, you know, just a no one at fault or each bare own incident, if you want to use in, insurance speak. But, mate, what, Ocon's out of control. Alonso's turning in. They're, they're doing it in a qualifying. It's, it's become a bit of a joke. And, and the, blame, the blame game thing at the moment, I, I don't know about you, I'm a bit fed up with it. This, there seems to be far less accountability now than what there might have been once upon a time. I mean, race car drivers, I've, I've been one a long time ago, Cam, but uh, it's it's easy to point the finger. But you got at the end of the day, you got to look at yourself in the mirror and acknowledge when you've made a mistake. And, and I, I heard the radio call from Ocon blaming Fernando, saying that he was in the way. Like, uh, Fernando, as far as I'm concerned, and I've been a driving standards advisor in multiple categories, um, I was actually talking to Pedro, Pedro Lamy, uh, who's one of the stewards, a famous Portuguese racing driver, yesterday at Sydney Motorsport Park. And we were in agreement that um, he should have, you know, it, it, was, it was on him. It was 100% on Ocon. Fernando did the right thing getting out of the way. But to try for a second, to try it on for size, to, to blame Fernando for that, he made a mistake and you've got to own it. I, uh, I'd love to see more drivers owning their mistakes moving forward. I think Fernando Alonso labelled him as uh, very immature at the end of it, which is uh, which is quite polite of Fernando. I saw it the way you did, Carlos. I know they've said that there was nothing to um, nothing to play out in terms of any penalties, but I felt that Ocon was out of control, and uh, it was just unfortunate. I guess that's why the stewards did it. They said if if Alonso wasn't there, there would have been no incident, and he could have just moved on. He should be allowed to qualify. That's why. But uh, yeah, to to blame Alonso when you're out of control, I think it's a bit rough and a bit rich. But a couple of other 
other things really quickly to, as we get the show um, up and running today. A grandstand roof collapsed on the last corner on the Friday. Um, this is this is you know crazy sort of stuff where we need to see some upgrades on some facilities because we don't want danger to any of our spectators. But it, that's the size of the storm that came in and and um, basically nullified that final segment of qualifying. Second year in a row as well that we've had that final segment of qualifying red flagged and not started at Sao Paulo. So uh, I don't know. You can't really say time of year because we heard the same thing being said of Australia with MotoGP and the weather with the race having to go forward by a day. But, geez, a couple of questions to ask about that circuit. I know we love the circuit, but, geez, is it the right time of year to hold it? Do we need these storms? And, and, and if a grandstand's roof's coming down, maybe some upgrades? Well, there's a few different questions to ask there. You've, you've kind of raised a few interesting points. Yes, so a lot of these older circuits, they're a bit getting a little bit tired and they get away with the uh, the legacy factor. Oh, it's a special circuit. Monaco, I was at Monaco this year and uh, it, it's probably due some upgrades in itself. I think the safety is, they're getting a little bit complacent there, if I'm being honest. Um, but yeah, that's, that's not good. The time of year, for me, the one that comes to mind is J Japan. This year we had a beautiful race weekend. I was up there, it was sunshine and we had a little bit of rain, I think on the, I can't remember if it was the Friday or the Saturday, but it was a beautiful day on the Sunday. But typically that race would be a month later and October heading into the wet season and it gets rained out and we've seen as we know some atrocious accidents there in the past so I think the time of year is something that needs to be considered amongst it but yeah anyway over to you mate no, I, 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 we'll, we'll talk more about this as I think we uh, get towards the end of our season. We've only got a few more shows left, mate. Nearly the end of Formula One season. In the meantime, though, we're going to take a quick break on Gridwalk. Join the conversation. Text us on 0433-98-1116. You're listening to Gridwalk with Cam Van Den Dungan and Carl Reindler. Track Limits. For temper, a mattress like no other. Proud sponsors of the Formula One on SEM. Okay, that was a third stroke on track limits. You've now been given the black and white flag. Is Cam inside or outside the track? I've given this one its own segment, Carl Reinler. I want everyone to join in the conversation. You can call in 1-300-736-736 or you can jump on the 40 Winks Temper text line 0433 Carly, you're ready for this one. Are you ready? You're sitting down. Cameron Vanden Dungan, what have you got in store for me this week? I'm not going contentious, I don't think. But then again, I didn't think Sack the Sprint was going to be as contentious as it ended up at the time either. <laughs> but I've had, a, I've had a gutful of this one, Carl. I've had an absolute gutful. I'm, um, I really want to call this out. Tire degradation. I'm done. I'm sick of talking about it. I'm sick of having to watch drivers just tiptoe around in race format when we know how much faster they can go on these cars. And the reason I'm picking this weekend to talk about it is it is going to be the story of tomorrow morning when we all get up and read our papers to see who won the race. It's going to be who could drive around the fastest of the slowest on the slowest of the fastest tyres. And it is so hard to explain I want to put it front and centre. It's time to change the rules so that the drivers must push as hard as they can on every available tyre compound in a race weekend. I'm going to call it the Qatar rule, where you have the a Qatar maximum rule. lap count on each tyre. Yeah, on, on each tyre compound. You can allow for the strategy. You can try the different ones. But we need them pushing, leaning on these tyres, mate. Where do you stand on tyre deg? 
This is a juicy one. I like it. Um, there's a few factors here. Tire degradation for me went hand in hand with, with refueling. When we were actually refueling cars and the, the, you had the weight disadvantage as well, it meant it actually allowed for over, better overtaking opportunities. You didn't need DRS system. It's a drag reduction system that we see, you know, that's been around for the last, I don't know, seven or eight seasons or something. You didn't need it because there was such a differential in speed between all the cars. So the degradation worked nicely with the refueling. But I've got to say, oh, as much as it, I don't like agreeing with you, Cam. <laughs> I, the Qatar race, to see them pushing like quality lap after quality lap in that race, seeing them, you know, I don't want to see anyone injured or hurt, of course, absolutely not, but to see them physically challenged in the cars, you know, they were, they were slugging it out at Qatar. It was, it was brutal and it provided an interesting race. So I think you've got You've got some validity to it. But the other thing well, I just want to mention, because there's a big issue, the cars have become so extremely fast now that Pirelli is the, arguably one of, if not the best tyre manufacturer on the planet. They cannot produce a tyre that is, is up, to the, up to all of the demands that the F1 drivers and the teams wish for. It's, it's like, it's beyond physics. I'm not asking, this is actually not a crack at Pirelli in any way, shape or form. We know that they managed to re-secure the contract and, um, and that, you know, Bridgestone came, came running at them, like uh, I think it was, and, and they've had their contract in, you know, in uh, times gone by. But this is actually, it, it, isn't, it isn't about Pirelli or the tyre because you're right, you can't build a tyre that can last forever. And if we try and make one tyre the only compound they race on, we end up with slower race cars and we build cars where you can't pass and other bits and pieces. I like the different compound variations. I like having to choose and alternate throughout the weekend when we don't have refuelling, as we don't. Uh, and, and I'm not suggesting we bring refuelling back in. But I'm going to, I'm going to, I've run some numbers on this, Carl, and, and Pirelli were good enough to put them up on their social media. So if anyone else wants to jump on, you can actually grab these and check this out. Jump onto their social media account, whether it's on X or any of the others. But the fastest lap time by compound during practice or quality on the Friday. The hard compound, they brought the C2. So for those of you that are new to Formula One, C1 is the hardest of all compounds, um, therefore the slowest but the longest life. Um, and that's they've got a five range, I guess, C1 to C5. C1 being the hardest, C5 being the softest. They've say, taken C2, C3 and C4 with them to Sao Paulo. So it's quite a hard tyre. The hardest... Uh, the fastest lap time they saw on a C2 tyre, hard tyre, was by Fernando Alonso in the Aston Martin, a 112.6. The fastest medium compound, C3, was by George Russell with a Mercedes, a 111.8. So you're nearly a second faster on that tyre. And then you go to the soft compound, C4. The fastest driver of all wasn't your pole sitter, Max Verstappen. It was actually Lando Norris in the McLaren, a 110.0. So you've got a 2.6 second uh, delta between the hard and the soft tyre. But then, Carl, that's great in qualifying trim. Come the race sprint we saw yesterday, or sorry, well, this morning, last night, whenever, wherever you are, the fastest medium tyre was Kevin Magnussen with a 115.4. So nearly four seconds slower than what we saw on the same tyre in qualifying trim. The soft compound tyre, George Russell, a 114.4. So it was 4.4 seconds slower than the fastest time we saw from Lando Norris. That is ridiculous. That needs to be fixed. And we need to see the race lap and the qualifying lap closer than that. 
Yeah, but the one thing you're, you're skipping out on here is the heavy fuel load for the race versus light fuel load for qualifying. I know that the cars, after they go through Parc Ferme, after the race, they have to remain as they were in qualifying trips. Gone are the days, you know, 15, 20 years ago when you'd have a qualifying setup for the car and then the guys would be working till three o'clock in the morning overnight to, to tweak it back to the best possible race car. What I do like about your track limits today, Cam, is that it might bring some of the, uh, some of the teams that are struggling on tire wear and degradation, like Ferrari this year has been, the one that always comes to mind. Maybe it brings them to the pointy end of the grid and makes for better racing, possibly. But playing devil's advocate, oh, I, how long... I think, I think absolutely it will bring them to the fore. But you, know, you keep going. So devil's advocate, how long before these incredibly intelligent engineers and race teams adapt to the rule changes and we end up with a, you know, with a similar scenario? So, I mean, you've got to keep them on your toes. I mean, the, the best weekends we've had are where the teams have been challenged. What We spoke about it last week. I love the weekends where we saw Charles Leclerc and uh, Lewis Hamilton disqualified because of this... Um, this rule with the, the plank underneath the car, that was because they didn't have the time and practice to get it right. I, I think you scrap the, the number of you know practice sessions or, and, and limit the number of practice time. And, and I, maybe, maybe it's the number of, uh, maybe it's, there is a minimum number of pit stops in a race like we had at Qatar. And that would, I reckon they'd be pretty bloody entertaining if you ask me. So this is, this is where I'm getting to. I think Qatar showed us you've got to run all three compounds of tyre during a race. You can't run any tyre longer than 18 laps or whatever it is. And that can be anything that you've brought in, even the used sets you bring into the race. So I really liked that. But this is the bit why it's going to be so... Uh, it's going to be the story of tomorrow, put it that way. Because uh, Alex Elbin from Williams said, the, and I think his quote was, the hard tyres, uh, something along the lines are horrendous around this circuit and that the softs are the only tyre that offer any grip, but they die in life very quickly. So it's going to be a tyre degradation race. And then you look at all the comments from the sprint race and everything talks about, I didn't manage my tyres well enough. Oscar Piastri says, I used up too much of my tyre early on in the stint, therefore I wasn't able to defend when Daniel came back at me, but I felt I had a better car. You had Sergio Perez say the same thing, I used up too much tyre early. I think Max it's... Verstappen, one of the things about their cars, and I can see you down my little jitsy link here, just shaking me off. And I'm telling you, mate, we've got to do something about tyre dead because I'm a commentator that has to spend my time telling first-time fans, new fans, about why some of the fastest drivers and cars in the world are driving around so slowly. And for me as a commentator, as much as it's great for the purists who love strategy racing and it's like people that love Tour de France cycling on a three-week race where you can see one day and one little move can make a difference, it is a very difficult thing to bring new people into our sport. Yeah, look, you, you do have some good points there. There's a lot of different facets to it. I put myself firstly in the shoes of the drivers and they they want to they want to do quality laps all day long. They don't want to have to nurse tires. It's yes, it's an art form in itself. Um, but from the team's team's perspective, they want to be creative with strategies and and it, by having a minimum number of pit stops, you're not going to have someone off the last row of the grid going, you know what? Instead of a three stop that everyone else is doing, we're gonna we're gonna tackle a one stop and just try and nurse our tires and hope for a late safety car or whatever it might be. So, I there's always there's always pros and cons, um, which sounds like a bit of a cop out, but there's so much to consider with that. I I love the idea of it, and and I think Formula One. In, in the place that it's at at the moment, they're sort of 
they're quite open-minded, I think, to experimenting with different rules. I mean, the fact that the sprint race came in, you know, I reckon we are uh, going to talk to Stefano and see if we can make this happen, Cam. <laughs> <laughs> so if you'd like to join in the conversation, do you think I'm inside or outside track limits when I say we've got to make tyre degradation and our discussions about it a thing of the past? We can't get rid of tyre degradation, of course. What I'm saying is tyre degradation style racing and adjust the rules to allow them to qualify basically or race with lap times as close as possible. Yes, Carl, I get your fuel point as well, but 4.4 seconds, mate, is not the fuel load. You and I both know that. But if you want to join in the conversation, one 736 736 or the 40 Winks Temper text line, 0433-981116. We're going to take a break on Gridwalk, and when we come back, we've got so much more as we build up to the Sao Paulo Grand Prix. Join the conversation. Text us on 0433-981116. You're listening to Gridwalk with Cam Van Den Dungan and Carl Reidler. And we've got Mark from Sydney joining us on the line and he's joining the conversation. Mark, very quickly, am I inside or outside track limits with my call tonight about making tyre degradation races a thing of the past? Well, I think you're on the money and I'll just throw another element in there. Uh, Actually, I'm a first-time caller, and I've just started recently listening to your guys' program, so thank you very much for the top quality you do with your work. Um, I think that the people in charge of F1 really need to consider how different climates around the world with regard to geography of racetracks is concerned and how that would affect tyre degradation. Because, for example, you'd have different climates here in Melbourne in Australia when they run the F1 championship here compared to, say, places like Sao Paulo, and Singapore, where the climates will be a lot more humid. So to my way of thinking, when you have high humidity and high heat, that'll make the tyres and the quality degrade quicker. And I'd just like to know what you guys might think about that with regard to, I think there needs to be different rules introduced for different tracks with regard to tyre degradation based on their climate and how that would affect the tyres. No, mate, Mark, uh, firstly, thanks for calling in and uh, appreciate the, uh, the kind words, mate. Um, it's a tyre deg, it's an interesting one, and absolutely the climate does affect it, and I think that's a big part of the reason why they've got those five different compounds. It's, um, as far as degradation, yes, the humidity, uh, a big one's UV as well that we, we don't often talk about. The, uh, you know, a night race, for example, at Singapore will actually, you'll, you'll arguably have less degradation. Some circuits, you go to a street circuit and they're a bit rough and they, uh, they're like a cheese grater on the tyres and then you get these beautiful Herman Tilke designed brand new circuits that are, you know, silky smooth without a single bump on them. So... There's a lot of factors when it comes to considering tyre degradation, but but I agree. And the, the trouble with picking different locations at certain times of the year, unfortunately, it's it's a logistical nightmare. Like imagine, like next year, there's 24 races on the calendar, and it's you've got some contracts in place that mean you know yeah Abu Dhabi is. Um, Oh, so no, it's Saudi. Saudi is the first race of uh, of next year on, on the on the calendar. They want that race uh, at, as the first race. Um, Japan's always been uh, until this year the, the Bathurst weekend, the first weekend of October. They've got these contracts in place, but they're also working towards um, you know zero. Um, zero emissions effectively by 2030 and, and a big part of the emissions is this logistical nightmare so I'm, I'm going on a massive tangent here but 
to, to pick <laughs> yes, and you choose. Are, Carl. Yes, you are. <laughs> to, 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 sorry, Mark. To pick and choose where to go at different times of year, it's it's bloody tricky. But they are considering it because they did move the Japanese Grand Prix uh, almost a month earlier, and a big part of the reason for that was to avoid the monsoon seasons, and that was purely for safety. But Qatar next year is a month later because of the heat, and obviously we all saw. Those poor uh, drivers jumping out of the cars straight to the med centre after the race. So um, I think they are considering it, but I agree with you, Mark. I think they should be looking at it more. I think the climate, the time of year is is critical for not only tyre degradation, but entertaining racing. Like a little bit of rain is, is, yeah, is and, a good thing. And to finish that... To finish that point with Mark as well, Mark, thank you as as well as Carl said for joining us uh, as part of the Gridwalk family, mate. Um, I think that's where the, the multiple different types of components that are available that Pirelli choose going to each race is, is how they try to negate that part of it. But it's just, for me, it's critically important that we allow them to really push those tyres right to the edge. Mate, thank you for joining us. I hope you, uh, I hope you continue to tune in and please feel free to keep joining our conversation. Now it's time for DRS. Drama, rumours, socials. Thanks to Sportsnet. Sportsnet Holidays. For money can't buy, F1 experiences. And after talking about all these cool places you can go around the world, Sportsnet is the team you go with. We've got Will Barnes, who's been joining us regularly on the line. Will, there is a lot to talk about in drama, rumours and socials at the moment. Um, how's it all been going from your events perspective, mate? I've been looking at Sportsnet. You guys have been running some amazing events. You must be busy with Spring Carnival at the moment too. We are absolutely flat out at the moment, mate. Uh, thanks, uh, thanks for having me on again. Um, no, we've, we've still got tickets to the Australian Grand Prix as well, so, uh, so hit us up. All right, we'll make sure we get Mark from uh, Sydney to get his tickets and come on down and join us down here. Now, Will, you join Carl and I every couple of weeks to talk about some of the some of the drama, some of the rumours and some of the socials. It's mainly uh, drama and rumours that we'll be talking about and then socials is where we find out about it. I'm going to start off with a big one. Carl, you're probably across this and um, I know, Will, you'll, uh, you'll either be selling tickets or you'll have a lot of people asking about this, but Las Vegas... The residents, from what I've been reading, seeing and hearing, are absolutely filthy with the race disrupting the strip. And there is a lot of chatter that the race may be a one-and-done setup, which would I wouldn't say catastrophic because it's not that big, but Formula One has taken this on as both the promoter and the organiser. And I'll come to you first, Carl, and then we'll go to you, Will. Um, that would not be a great look. It's great that we've got F1 back in Las Vegas, but surely it has to be more than, more than one event. Yeah, it's got to be more than one event. Um, I, I appreciate the disruption. and It's the same with any any street circuit. There's always um, a lot of negative feedback about the build with, with Albert Park every year. There's always a... They are, like, with all due respect, a, 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 there's not many of them, but most people absolutely love it when the Grand Prix comes to town. But it is hugely disruptive. And the other thing with Vegas is they're starting from scratch. Like the, the infrastructure that they've had to build over the last nine to 12 months, I, I can appreciate it's gotten the way. But moving forward, I'd like to think that it's a little bit more seamless. The other thing to consider, um, I know a few of the um, organisers of the Vegas Grand Prix, and it's, it's very union heavy in, um, in in Vegas, in Nevada specifically, because of the casinos and everything. And it's um, yeah, this uh, it's it's a complicated build process, and things just take time, and it is disruptive. But moving forward, it's uh, I think it's it's got to be on the calendar. There's a contract there for ten years, isn't there? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's on the calendar. It's going to be there at the next Grand Prix we go to, so that'll be great. Now, Will, the next one I come to you, the next rumour that we had is Fernando Alonso to Red Bull. Did you hear that, mate? Checko to Aston Martin for season 2024. Where did that come from? Fernando Alonso, do you want to see him in Red Bull or our own Danny Rick back there? Oh, as an Aussie, you'd always like to see Danny Rick back on there, but that came, uh, yes, way out of left field. It would... Uh, would be pretty amazing to see Fernando win uh, in one of the leading cars again, I must say. Yeah, I I don't know how much truth there is to that one, but tell you what, wouldn't we all love to see Fernando in a race, proper race-winning car? Like, and I, I genuinely think he would, you know, he'd stick it to, to Max. I, I still think, I rate Fernando as one of the, not, to, not only all-time greats, but current greats on that grid. I, he hasn't lost a thing. Oh, come on, Carl. Fernando Alonso going into a team like Red Bull with Max Verstappen, that, that, I don't think that works. That does not work. Fernando Alonso does not do number two. Max Verstappen does not do number two. And apart from a little bit of time recently, Fernando Alonso, the rumours in the paddock were that he was not a good team man. And I don't mean he's not a brilliant race car driver. There was a lot of... Sorry, a lot of discussion around his time, particularly at McLaren, that he wasn't a great team player. He wasn't, you know, good in building the car and building the people around him. But yes, Carl, you'd like to take me on on that. Once upon a time, I, I agree. Like when you're young in this game, you you have to be selfish. But I think I do, I watch and observe the way that Fernando has been this year. Um, I think he's been the team player. He's been a, he's been a great leader. Uh, I think he's been quite encouraging of Lance. We remember Miami. I was at the Miami Grand Prix, and I can't believe he was tuning in to the trackside TV, making observations to his radio, saying, hey, that was a great passing move that Lance just did. I At least the perception is that he's more of a team player. But I agree, back in like the late 2000s, mid to late 2000s, he, he wouldn't have been a, a great teammate to have along, alongside you. Now, um, a couple of, and I'm not going to go too deep on these, Will, because these are just floating around and, and we wouldn't be doing our job uh, bringing all of the Formula One news to our fans if we didn't talk about this. Um, uh, and, and, Will, I'm not going to ask for comment on this one. This is just a statement. I'll come to the one I ask you about in a second. But there has been a report that Abu Dhabi, which is the final race of this year, may be cancelled due to the conflict that's going on in the Middle East. We're not a show that ever gets involved in anything political. We're not going to talk about that. We've already seen one Grand Prix struck off our list earlier this year. Um, it wouldn't be great to have two, but we'll keep you posted as we hear it. That is certainly a rumour that's come out. This one, though, Will, I'm going to come to you with, though, is Audi F1 exit rumour. Audi out before they're even in. They ref refuted the allegation, but it wouldn't be a good look for Formula One if one of these manufacturers factors disappeared before they even came in. It really wouldn't. Uh, I think, yes, as a fan of Formula One, something a little bit different coming back and uh, and Audi coming in, another big world manufacturer uh, coming in could only be good for the sport. So um, surely, surely they continue to press on. So the, the rumour, Carl, before you jump in on that one, was that Audi was out. Um, the, what the team of, at Audi have responded with is, no, we're actually just staying quiet, going about our business whilst the Alfa Romeo um, stay, their, their contract runs out. We had, how cool was it to have um, our mate Valtteri Bottas on the show saying that he's actually got his eyes forward on an Audi drive and that he's very much already working and collaborating with them and all the wind tunnel efforts going into next year's car and has done for the last few months. Um, have you heard anything about the Audi deal there, Carlos? 
I've heard nothing about the Audi deal other than they're just kind of quietly working in the background. They've got a huge number of staff members that are working on the on the program. You've got Andrea Seidel that we spoke about last week. Um, Valtteri is obviously focused on on being a part of that operation. And and Audi to back out now, they they're in it to win. They're they're going to go in and they're going to they're going to make it work. They win everything that they challenge. So yeah. I think, I think there's a few cheeky people starting a few cheeky rumours as they do at this time of year. In the meantime, though, um, Will Barnes from Sportsnet Holidays. Um, tickets still available for the Australian Grand Prix. Any other events that we need to we want to let our listeners know about right now for you guys? Oh, Singapore next year is going to be an unreal event, as it always is. So we've got some uh, fantastic fortnight packages to uh, head over and enjoy the uh, night lights in Singapore. Oh, that'd be awesome. I'm hoping I've, I've booked my ticket again. Carl's hoping he's already got his schedule for next year. He's signed up for as many Grand Prix as possible. Remember, though, if you're listening in the Gridwalk, you can access Sportsnet's exclusive travel packages to every thrilling race of the F1 season at sportsnetholidays.com forward slash Gridwalk. We're going to take a break on Gridwalk, but thank you to Will Barnes from Sportsnet Holidays for joining us. Join the conversation. Text us on 0433-98-1116. You're listening to Gridwalk with Cam Van Den Dungan and Carl Reidler. On Gridwalk, it's the stewards' room. Thanks to Morris, bringing our personal approach to personal finance. Geez, our episodes of Gridwalk go very quickly, don't they, Carl? We're straight into the stewards' room with thanks to Morris. Thank you very much, guys. Now, something we've talked about previously that wasn't a great look was uh, some of our drivers, Max Verstappen in particular, holding up drivers at pit exit, um, waiting to find the right spot of clear track in order to get their qualifying lap in. We've talked about impeding being an issue. Well, the race director's taken note and issued a note uh, ahead of this weekend in Sao Paulo, which allows a driver to move to the left at pit exit and allow cars through on their right-hand side to find the right spot. So it didn't stop or impede anyone else in pit, pit lane, but what it did was allowed cars to go past. And we saw some dramatic shots of Max Verstappen overtaking people uh, on driver's right down uh, the pit lane on the exit, which is such a weird thing for us to see that have been involved in the sport for a very long time. But three drivers didn't do it, Carl. Uh, George Russell, Esteban Ocon and Pierre Gasly all got two grid spot penalties as a result of not moving far enough left. So your thoughts on this adjustment and people getting caught out? I, I think Niels Wittich, the uh, the race director, has done the right thing. I think uh, it was ridiculous. What I saw in Singapore, I was in the med car at pit exit and Max is parked up right beside me and he's holding. I mean, I appreciate games on track is one thing, but in pit lane when you're compromising everyone else, uh, I mean, pit lane's it's a dangerous part of the track. There's pedestrians, there's uh, pit crew and everything um, floating around in pit lane. I I think that play all the games you like on track within reason don't impede be respectful but in pit lane uh, i mean i'm glad that this penalty is being applied um i'm surprised that there's three penalties though i mean they've literally been told in the driver's briefing this is what will take place if you do this and three people have still managed to to mess it up um love to know what excuses they made uh but yeah i'm, I'm glad that they're, they're applying penalties for something like that 
Two from the same team, though, as well. Something's going on in communication at Alpine when you've got Ocon and Gasly both uh, both getting penalised for it. Must also add that Sergio Perez was summoned to appear but managed to avoid penalty in that instance. So there was something he obviously was able to bring that said uh, he had uh, extenuating circumstances, for want of a better term. But, um, no, that's our stewards' room. Stewards' room, for those that are new, like Mark and Sydney, that have been listening and calling into the show, is where we look at some of the decisions. And if they're quite contentious, we actually get the team from Motorsport Australia on. Michael Smith's been a regular for us to pull it apart. I didn't think this one was too contentious, but it was certainly worth noting why three of our drivers have got two grid spot penalties. Carl, we're inside the last four minutes of our show, building up the Sao Paulo Grand Prix. Time to get into some race predictions for tonight or tomorrow morning's race, wherever you are watching from. Carl, can anyone beat Max Verstappen? Well, I think we're in for a cracking race for second to 10th. Unfortunately, I think Max has got this in the bag. There's the only reason he was he will not finish on top of the podium. It, I mean, the car's been reliable, so you can't even say reliability is a factor. The Red Bull has just been like a metronome all year, so consistent. Um, is if he gets taken out at the first corner, if he if he survives the first corner, and it is a really we've seen some monumentally big accidents and controversial um, incidents take place at Turn 1 here at Sao Paulo. If he can get through the first corner first, then he's on for the win. But I, I think we're in for a, for a belt of a race for second, uh, second and third on the podium. I'm, um, I'm going to say that Lando finishes runner-up again. And I actually don't think the Mercedes will be that quick this weekend. They're really struggling for straight-line speed. Um, so perhaps uh, maybe a Ferrari. I'm going to say Charles in third place. That's my tip for the weekend. Max P1, Lando P2, Charles P3. Well, mate, how's this though? Right. Where I am right now, I'm down in Meetung. The last time I was in Meetung, I turned up late for the show and I had boat troubles. Is that what you, is that what you told our listeners way back I, then? I threw you under the bus on that one, but you deserved it. You, you're out boating instead, mate. We're a Formula One show, not a boating show. Hey, Adrian Newey likes his boats, doesn't he? And look at him, he's one of the greatest. And, and no, I am not um, I am not putting myself and Adrian Newey in the same sentence, Carl, before you start to mix my words around. But I'm actually in a house right now, and there are two gentlemen that are here. Um, Ken Smith, who was the first deputy clerk, of course, at the Australian Grand Prix back in 1985, and he still works as a very senior guy in Australia at the Grand Prix there. And Hank Duncan, that's the anglicised name uh, that my father uses and has been um, in race control at the Australian Grand Prix since 1985. He was also the assistant clerk, of course, back then. So I asked these two esteemed gentlemen, who did they tip for tonight's race? Now, my father, his actual real name is Cornelis Hondrikus Fundendungen. So can you guess with that very Dutch name who his tip was, Carl? Well, it's a pretty easy one, I think. It's, uh, it's got to be Max, surely. He didn't even bat an eyelid. He goes, Max. And then Ken Smith, though, said, look, I think Max, but at the same time, he actually, much like you off the top of the show, was Fernando Alonso. That's who he believes will get the win tonight. Wouldn't that be incredible? I would love to see Fernando take a win this year. Wouldn't that be that'd be special? Be, oh, I'll be jumping out of my seat tomorrow morning when I tune in. So I'm, I'm actually intrigued by that. My two little boys are both Formula One tragics, even though they're, uh, what, nine and seven. I have to listen to the Max Verstappen songs on repeat just about every morning when I wake up. They're looking at it go, yeah, that one, this one. Oh, look at This is what I wake up to every morning. Can you believe it? How's your blood pressure, by the way? 
Oh, mate. Well, the good thing for me is that, I mean, Oscar Piastri is the one that's carrying our hopes of Australia tonight, starting at a P10. I think he's going to really struggle. Daniel Ricciardo, he had such a great weekend. He's going to be starting at a position 17. A lot of work ahead of him. I actually think Lando Norris is going to be my tip for tonight. And I, he's coming out of P6. I think he's got the car that can finally take it up to Max. Max even said he's right there with him. Um, out of P6, he has to do a bit of work. I don't think the cars in front of him are going to be that much of a hard... I mean, you can overtake at this track. I think the car's handling well on, um, on these tyres. I think Lando Norris, and I, I tipped him a little while ago, could be on for it, Carl. Anything else you expect to see? Where does Oscar Piastri finish up? Top five for Oscar, top five. All right, you've been tuning to Gridwalk. Thank you very much, guys. We will see you in another week's time as we build to the end of the season. But tonight, it's the Brazilian Grand Prix, also known as the Sao Paulo Grand Prix. You've been tuning to Gridwalk. He's been Carl and I've been Cam.